stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank. He's back with us to talk about the recession. We're not in one, not yet, but we're almost at the end of the first quarter here in 2023, and we're all still waiting. Will we get in one? What? What? When will it get here? What is happening out there in the economy with the stock market? How should you be investing right here with all this uncertainty? The Fed continues to raise rates on top of everything else going on. When will they stop? Will that matter? I don't know. There's all these questions out there. And John, I'm welcoming you back to discuss it all. Thanks, Tracy. So let's talk about our favorite topic, um, the recession. So I just put it out there that we're not in it, even though people on Twitter keep telling me, Tracy, we're in one. You just can't see it right now. But uh, you know, some parts of the economy clearly are. Housing is in a recession. Uh, manufacturing is in a recession, but the overall economy is not signaling a recession. And I keep waiting. I keep looking for the signs that we've talked about over the years of you know uh, that the economy is slowing, that we could be going into one. And I keep watching the employment, and so far, employment is not signaling that we're even close to a recession. Correct, Tracy. So let's uh, begin by presenting everybody the facts because this is what we tell people to do. So I think we should do it ourselves. Okay. So I've got the March 10th employment situation summary from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, ticker BLS.gov. It's the February non farm payrolls. So total non farm payroll employment rose by 311,000 in February. And the unemployment edged up to 3.6%. And I tell you also to go down to the revisions, which I will do. The change in total non-farm payroll employment for December was revised down 21,000 from 260 to 239. And the change for January was revised down from 13,000 from 517 to 504. With these revisions, gains in January and December were 34% lower than previously purported, albeit both well above 200,000. So we have a 500,000 number, a 300,000 number, and a 200,000 number in the bin for the last three months. Now, the other thing we tell people to do is you can access, we're talking March the 28th, which is a few weeks after this, and we've had a banking crisis, we can go to the unemployment claims. Right. And for the week ending March 18th, which is, you know, right after the, the whole Silicon Valley Bank thing, the initial claims were 191. Thought 1,000, a decrease of 1,000. The four-week moving average was 196,000, which is extremely low. Yeah. So we're still not finding any evidence so far of anything but a very strong economy. Now, that you did bring in the manufacturing PMI, so let's throw that out right. there. Okay. Manufacturing PMI in February the 2023 for the ISM, which is the best data, was indeed 47.7, which was actually three-tenths of a point higher than the 47.4 in January, and the figure has been contracting for three months. So interestingly enough, there is a goods contraction. There is no evidence whatsoever of any 
change in the labor market. And that is the story of March 28th. That sounds pretty good. It does. And that's what we need to keep people in mind, mind, mindful of is at the end of the day, the reason this is true is the speed on which we ascended the rate hiking starting basically in March or April of last year to now um, still means we have 12 to 18 month lag before it has its true effects, right? Right. So what's happened here is people have conflated the speed of the rate hikes and the level of the rate hikes with the length of time they've been in place. And they simply have not been in place long enough. And this is why the Fed will go longer sideways than people think. And likely the recession, which certainly could happen, is more a 2024 event than a 2023 event. And it may even be a 2025 event. Wow. So that's the point that's missing. Everybody's missing. The bond market's missing. Is lag effects for monetary policy are typically 12 to 18 months. So you're not in the camp, it sounds like, where the Fed will pause soon, probably by the summer. And then they're suddenly cutting by the fall. I think the terminal rate at 5.1% is entirely accurate, which means they will hike one more level. Okay. But then what's going to happen is they're going to pause and move sideways and watch the data. Because 5.1% on the Fed funds rate when they end, if you take it down 1%, the core PCE they anticipate for the year that we're in is 4.1%. Right now, we had a 4.7% reading in January. So they're looking for you know, a, a half a point to a three quarters point decline in the core PCE rate this year so that they can stay at 5.1%. And that's what they're going to watch out for. And they, they do bet on people think, well, we're already in the decline. I want to point out to people the Fed is betting on some of that decline already. The markets, yeah. what markets got wrong here is they will pause and they will not do anything until they get to a 4.1 core PCE, no matter what, when they're at 5.1. They're gonna just going to wait it out. If they go to a 3.8, yes, they would cut, but that's what they'd have to see. People still need to start realizing, listening to Jeff Goodlock and you know, you know, Bill Ackman and all these financial people talk about rates is irrelevant. They are chasing a statutory mandate. It is focused on the core PCE inflation rate. And that's what has to come down, period. And what if it doesn't continue to fall? Then they stay high, period. And now the other thing to think about here in terms of the banking crisis, the banking crisis really was about surprising people from zero rates who had a wash with liquidity with a sudden and oversized speed of rate hikes. What I would point out to people, there's two ways to look at that. One is, uh, this is entirely beneficial. We're starting wringing out the lunatics, the poor managers, and the dumb, the numbnuts out of the system. And this is actually going to benefit the real economy, aka goods and services, right? Right. Being a financialized, we're leaving a financialized economy, a grossly financialized economy, prefaced by zero percent interest rates, for one that actually makes, you know, real earnings for real goods and services. So you telling me we're getting out of crypto and it blew up. You telling me that some absurdly over-liquid Silicon Valley transaction base blew up. You telling me that you know the only bank in New York that had any crypto you know business blew up. I'm telling you, good. I mean, right. the only thing I would tell you, just for example, people, I need to understand this, and 
I don't even think you know this, Tracy, but I did work for CIT Group in Los Angeles for eight years on the side last, you know, 2011 to 2018-ish, before COVID, and they were bought by First Citizens. First Citizens did acquire Silicon Valley Bank. Why do I support this? Because, you know, they had CIT, which is a big part of First Citizens in California, it's not the biggest, probably the only biggest, had already bought One West, which is a retail bank in Pasadena largest bank in the south part of the state, state that's not Wells Fargo, Bank of America. Now they have a base in the, the Silicon Valley area. They were the natural fit, and they don't increase, uh, they increase competition in California because they get bigger and can face off against B of A and Wells Fargo here. So that it, they don't, you know, load all the assets into, you know, you know, City and JP Morgan, they actually create, you know, a 20-sized 20th size bank to a 15th size bank in the process. So in general, you have to applaud the FDIC and those, you know, we have to wait again, you know, did it work from a financial perspective? That's going to be found out five years from now. So you're not a uh, big proponent of consolidation, like massive consolidation in the bank. That's that's the thing that they did smart here. The FDIC did not, they invited and probably assisted for citizens, which is you know the fifteenth or twentieth largest bank, they're, but they're on the model. They get the, the you know the 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 Raleigh East Coast base and the big West Coast business, and they're national and they grow them up as opposed yeah. to expanding one of the ten or twelve big ones. So right. that that and, and the other thing that's really smart here is First Citizens through the One West transaction and the CIT transaction has lots of middle market small business. A bit lending ability, and they have lots of retail business, so they understand the pitfalls of those businesses out here. Because there's no question that California is getting the epicenter of the decline in housing prices and a lot of the loan problems this time around. I guarantee that. Yeah, I think that you know that's where the housing recession is starting to hit the hardest. Is yeah, we got a long ways to go, people. I, the other thing I would tell you is, you know, anybody who thinks that we're just going to knock out 10 or 15 percent correction out here is is absurd. I saw today the San Francisco office vacancy rate is 29%. 29%. That means a third of business offices are empty in San Francisco right now. And so they're not recognizing those losses and and because the leases continue to pay and people continue to negotiate. Yeah. If somebody effectively has to price it right in the aftermath of it, then part of the FDIC's deal with First Citizen was, you know, sharing haircuts on yeah. commercial lending for the next five years. And I think that language, sharing haircuts for five years, is exactly the, what I would have said, too. you got a five-year window here of sharing haircuts across the entire state. Now, I do not know a 39 million person state. Um, you know, the actual housing prices east of the Mississippi are going up right now, not down. And right. I simply do not think it will affect the great bulk of the population in those states. And frankly, Florida's at two and a half percent unemployment rate may not may not even reach Florida. So it really may be that this is a regional contraction, and then we just have the same game to play we started the show on, which is does it really net net out at the national level to a quote recession? I don't know. That's the that's, that's the big question. Because even the dot-com bust, which is kind of similar scenario to me. Um, but that was mostly contained in the northern part of California, not even the south at that point. It hadn't, you know, tech hadn't really come to LA yet. Now it has, obviously. But 
Um, even that that one, that initial slowdown felt really contained to just the Bay Area. The Bay Area was definitely in recession in like 2000, 2001. And then the rest of the rest of the economy did finally go into recession in 2001 though, nationwide, but it was mild you know, compared with what was going on in the Bay Area. The Bay Area was not mild during that. Like there were several hundred thousand people left. Um, home prices declined. There were like entirely empty office buildings, the same kind of scenario we're seeing here. They overbuilt for all the dot coms and then nobody needed that space. And it had it took years to work itself out as you're implying it's gonna again, but now it's really gonna impact the entire state and you have housing on top of it. You didn't have as big a housing uh, you know, boom and then bust in 2000, like you are gonna have this time. Yeah, so this gets to the reason we do the Bureau of Labor Statistics, not the California Department of Economic Development, right? Right, right. I mean, people need to understand when you're an economist, this is another thing to really understand. It's a, why we go to these statistics, they're called summary statistics. They summarize the all the influences that are happening out there. So I will not argue, have not argued, and do not argue, and you're not going to argue either that there's not going to be a recession in California. Absolutely will be one. Right. Probably already underway. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in the summary statistics for the United States, there's no evidence of that because the tech workers leave California and they're the first people to get hired somewhere else. Right. The tech right. workers who take a haircut on a million dollar house in California could afford a big one in St. Louis for 400 grand. Yeah. And all these other economies can become vigorously stimulated by a breakdown of the California tech economy. And we're seeing that in, you know, Facebook being a number one ranked stock right now. Yeah, last year when Zuckerberg was, you know, pie in the sky with Meta, sure, fine. Now he's firing people. Salesforce, same thing, but now Benioff's firing people and they're going to make cash. They're going to turn their businesses around and they're going to position people outside the Bay Area. Or the people are just going to work remote and then stay out of it, right? I mean, so this is, you know, typical um, behavior when there's structural change. Remote working is structural change and it gets layered into a cyclical change with the Fed is introducing. Right. So these are two pieces of language. They're happening at the same time. And you and I trying to disentangle the structural change of remote working in offices from the cyclical change the Fed is imposing through the rate hiking. Um, good luck with that. Right. And the answer, Tracy, is always the same. And that's why we start these shows always the same with the humility to just go to the most recent data and say, look, yeah. we don't know. We got to do this shows all the time. We have to do this every quarter and we have to stay on top of this. I'm not saying there will be no recession. And I think Goldman's right. There's a chance, a third chance of recession next 12 months, one third, which is very high. And we we should not and will not get this right without paying attention to the data and not being the biggest genius on earth. Plenty of geniuses out there. And that's fine, but they, they're going to say they're right when they get some forward call right, and they're not going to tell you when they're wrong. Like Bill Ackman is not going to tell you that he got the rate call wrong last week. Jeff right. is not going to tell you that he got the rate call wrong last week, right? Right. Because right. they did. They got it dead wrong. And so how the, many even the times doom do we about the, these people up there when they get calls wrong, right? Yeah, and even the doom and gloom about the banks. 
That's several it. of them immediately were like, we're doomed. It's, you know, the end is near. And now they're kind of quiet again. Yeah. So, yeah. Did we see 300 billion in liquidity drawn from the Fed? Yes. Did we see yeah. 120 billion in deposit shifting from small to large banks? Yes. Now let's do that against the size of the U.S. economy, which is 27 trillion. So if you're moving things around in 300 billion increments at best, you're doing something that is slightly more than one percent of the U.S. economy. Right, and I'm I don't I don't understand the uh, fears that all of the regional banks are suddenly in trouble. You know, including like Wintrust Financial here in Chicago, or I mean I could name a dozen other ones that are. Not on the list of the ones that people are worried about, but are outside those that are huge regional banks as well. And it's just they don't have the same issues. It's just they're they're just not. They don't have the number of uninsured. They they might not even have as you know the same kind of deposit base that some of these other ones have. Not even close, actually. When I'm thinking about it, so I don't really understand the panic about all of the regional banks and there's several hundred of them like it's not there's a lot yeah well the other language of a regional bank is they're somewhat disconnected from the national economy they're regional right right so if you're a regional bank in the southeast or a regional bank you know fifth third with big business in ohio and you know chicago neither of which have blown housing bubble up bubbles up um and frankly you say hey you know it, they're only going to welcome the movement of people out of California. You know, this is the problem. You say, well, where is the transmission mechanism to, to blow the economy up? Again, we have to find out where the excesses are. They're in California. I guarantee that. But that's 10% of the U.S. economy, 12%, 15%. It's not. So if I take a 10% takedown of California on a 15% number of the economy, I'll be very generous. It's a one and a half percent, one and a half percent decline in GDP, 10% of 15%. So yes, I can get, you know, my trend growth at two, two and a half to 0.51%. And Garrett, guess what, Tracy? Guess what the latest consensus economics GDP growth forecast for the United States in 2023 is? About 1%. the same. Yeah. What that is, is we should have done trend growth at two and a half, and then California blew up and took one and a half percent off it. <laughs> right, right. Couldn't we yeah, see yes, yes, your 2020, 20, 2002 scenario? The first place we got to go is just stagger around with you know that that kind of thing for a while, right? And then we get to see a much more. You see, the dumb people with the rate hiking are now out of the way. The real dumb thing is when the staggered commercial real estate thing plays out, which will take years. That's getting does. to where the recession is, which is probably 2024 or 2025, right? Right, because I don't see how that's a catalyst, like some kind of black swan event. Everybody's treating it like a black swan event that's going to happen by this summer, that all the commercial real estate is going to collapse. And then the banks that are holding those notes, they're going to collapse. And then it's all collapsing down, like all at once. No. It's yeah, well, this is, you, know, the, you know, the basic Nassim Tlaib problem is he wrote a book, got a lot of credit for it, got one call right. Now it's been 15 years since he made a good call. You know, and, you know, we got too many people who don't do the simple, humble thing of going to the data and saying, is there a recession? The answer is not even questionable. There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever recession right now. And then we just got to be diligent and humble and keep at it. So the problem people get here is you can be out of the market. 
safe and safe haven, and then it turns out, you know, the Fed gets the CPC down to 3.1 in 12 months, and they cut rates, and you're the dumbest guy on earth because the market's going to call that 12 months in advance. Right. right. Always forward looking. Yeah. The market's forward looking. So we know the 10 years at three and a half. There, there's some of that's Elvin is right, which is they're looking at a 2024 core PCE at 2.8 or three. And the Fed can start to then the market's going to price that in sometime in the late summer. And you're going to be the dumb guy watching the market go to 4,600. So why is that? Why is the forward 12 month top down aggregate S&P 500 target at 4,600 for 12 months? Because of the read through. Right. Yeah. So you get to be Nassim Tlaib and you get to be on, you know, multiple shows looking for your 2% event and it doesn't happen and the rest of us get screwed in the market. Now, so, you don't want to be yeah. dumb. I mean, the thing I've learned as an economist, if you want to outsmart 90% of the economists, just go to the employment situation summary at everything you do a couple times a month. Look at the non-farm payrolls, look at the unemployment claims like we do. And just say, hey, that is what's going on now, now, contemporaneous now. So what would you do as an investor then? Do you, you know, some of these like big tech already appears to be a safe haven possibly, but also maybe pricing in what the scenario you were just talking about already. You know, Meta has doubled this year in 2023. We know NVIDIA has almost doubled. Microsoft is up big. Even Google's no longer cheap on a P or a price to sales basis. Would you be still going into those? They've already rallied. Or do you want to be in some of the big banks, the the two big to fails? I took a look at some of those. Uh, they have you know very low price to book, which the bank analysts have always said. You buy at one on the price to book with the bank, you sell at two. Well, I took a look. Wells Fargo price to book is 0.88. Citigroup is 0.47. Bank of America is 0.9. And JP Morgan is even, it's the most expensive, but it's still cheap at 1.4. So is that, you know, with everybody panicking and, you know, maybe you don't want to be in the regionals. I get that part because it's a little more iffy, but the too big to fail, they're all cheap. Do I want to hang out in those? What do you? What's your answer, Tracy? Yes, I feel like I do. Yeah, yeah they're cheap I mean, to fail. They're not going to go down, So yeah, and they're cheap. I, yeah, I put a bid, you know, put a bid out this morning on Visa, right? Okay. Because Visa, you say, okay, yeah, I mean, Squared might have you know, some issues. Crypto's blowing up. Um, I simply do not think the consumer is going to just disappear, certainly not globally. And yeah. I buy Visa on a pullback and just ride it up. Yeah, and I think the same with JP Morgan. I think, you know, you say, okay, JP Morgan's three and a half trillion in assets. They're 10% of the US economy. They're broadly diversified across everything. Um, and again, they're definitely reserving. They're definitely prepared for a downturn. There may even be a downturn, but they simply cannot disappear. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, you buy stocks when the VIX goes through the roof and everybody's panicking. We don't, the one problem with your analysis here is we still have a 20 VIX, not 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 a 30 right. or 40 VIX. And right. it could be the point that you could pick JP Morgan up on a 30, 40 VIX here in another four or five months, right? Getting yeah. people into stocks and then they blow up even bigger and you should have stayed and just, you know, got the trade 
idea right, but the timing wrong. It's it's entirely clear to me that we we need to have an event, some credit event or some other event that puts punches us to a thirty five VIX, and then I think the bottom's in. Well, what do you think about the debt ceiling being that event? Well, it's starting to heat up again. There's some letters yeah, sure. flying back and forth as we're recording this on March twenty eighth, and we have it. You know. The deadline is, I think, June still, but maybe it could be extended into July. But things are starting to to happen with the debt ceiling. Yeah, you know, this is a inside the beltway negotiating tactic. It it never, you know, one of the defects of my own career, if you will, is I have not spent time in the beltway um, to to really give like the Axios political political angle on those events. But Axios political are places I would carry on reading in terms of understanding that. But do I personally think they will, will McCarthy do this? The problem with saying he won't is we don't have an election next year. Uh, so McCarthy, you know, so what is McCarthy, what is my, why does McCarthy care um, and he thinks he can get the debt ceiling done. I, I personally think he will want to carry on to the very, very last minute, no matter what. So at least whoever's pushing him to do it feels like they're vindicated and he gave his best shot. Right. right. Correct. So I yes. do think brinkmanship will be the norm. And okay. then I think he, when he gets his side of whoever's pushing him satisfied that he did his, you know, he did what, you know, a, a good faith quote, good faith effort on the whole debt ceiling from his perspective, uh, he can just walk away from it and just say, fine, I did, it didn't work. I don't care. I don't want to blow the economy up in 2024 before the election. But that reminds me of the scenario from 2011, where the same brinkmanship happened about the debt ceiling. And they yeah. went until three days before, but right. the S&P 500 did fall 16%. While yep. the brinkmanship you get a mix of 35, you know, yeah. August when McCarthy gets dramatic and this whole thing, he pays out yeah. his people and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's what I think too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're well, not saying it's going to happen. You're going to say there's going to be an event that's going to be make things, you know, appear to happen, right? Yeah. But, you know, investors might want to have some cash on the side. I know I'm going to try to have some in case yeah. this happens. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the thing. The market. Market the shorts and the day traders and the VIX people will will push us in over the edge and try to squeeze people during that time. Um, uh, any any other areas you like? If people are waiting on the sidelines and you know maybe they do have that cash and then they're gonna try to get in if you know the VIX rises, there's more of a panic and we finally do maybe see a bottom. Is it you know would you be looking at some consumer type stocks? Uh, like a Nike or somebody like that, or you know, is energy in your sights? Warren Buffett is buying more Occidental again here in March 2023, or is there some other area you're looking at? Well, one thing I did, you know, on Zach's professional services, I did this uh, work on the industrials. Oh, okay. And there's this. Um, Industrial Renaissance ETF by Richard Bernstein. And I'm going to find the uh, ticker for you. And this is, a, this is from a very statistical perspective, AAIR, ticker AAIR. 
Um, RBA, American Industrial Renaissance Index. And this thing has the type of industrial companies, mid and small cap companies, not banks, that is really interesting. So I would tell people to take a look both at that ETF and at the constituent elements of that ETF. Is it AA? AAIR. IR. Okay. Yeah. So if I go into our system, let me see if I get, yeah, AIRR. AIRR. Okay. And I pull up fact sheet. It says First Trust, RBA, American oh, yeah. Trust, Renaissance. Um, got an expense rate of 0.7, which is not that bad. And it's got lots of really good stories. For example, the 10 year, the five year performance is 10.9%, which is slightly better than the SP 500 or, you know, within yeah. the zone of respect over time. The SP 500, you know, might get you a little less than that. Again, you, you know, you're, you're only talking about a beta of 1.05. You're not getting a very little lift. The, the S&P 500 is a 0.9 beta. Um, the Russell's a 1 beta. But this is the, you know, the kind of trade where you can both look at the ETF and also the stuff in it. One thing I've learned about these industrial names is uh, you, you just don't know them really well. And some of them are really kind of interesting businesses. And you get them at a certain point. You go, okay, I get this business. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And especially these are small and mid caps. So they're not going to be the caterpillars of the world that you already know about. Right. These are the unknown ones that are kind of, you know, been around like 40 or 50 years in some cases, but they're just, they fly under the radar, but they are good businesses. Yeah. Right. And Richard Bernstein knows what he's doing. Um, I've looked through the names and I've run my my team has run the you know the returns elements, total return elements, and they does outperform with this thing. Okay. Not dramatically, Tracy, but you know. Right, right. But yeah, there are a lot of people who like the ETF option because they don't want to figure out the small cap industrial. <laughs> they right. don't want to have to go research it on their own. So why not buy a basket of them? That makes sense. That's it. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know. If you want to research it, we'll let Richard Bernstein do it for you and just pick him off, cherry pick him, right? Right, 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 for sure. Yeah, I always recommend that too, that people go in there and look to see what these ETFs own. You know, we're throwing that out there. Ticker AIRR, go into Zach's, log in and get the fact sheet and the portfolio lines. Then take the tickers, the top 10 tickers, and look at those. Yeah. And then once you get in there, you're going to find one that's going to have a good Zach's industry rank and a good Zach's rank itself. Nice set of surprises. You're going to look at the chart, go, yeah, I get this, not overvalued, and nobody knows about this little name. And then you pick three or four of those up. Yeah, you could. Don't pay Richard Bernstein a penny. (laughs) That's right. That's right. You don't. You don't. So, I mean, I just point this out. I mean, what I like to do, you know, I kind of top down element is to yeah look i like industrials but i like this arrangement to play industrials and then i drill into it oh, and you that's can ridiculous. find you know look there's six eight and ten names that are going to pick this index up that you can make some calls using the zach's ranking systems to to identify those okay that's a good strategy yeah i'm liking it we need a strategy here in 2023 a lot of people are just kind of treading water right now unsure what to do that's why they're all pouring into the big cap, you know, tickers because they're they're scared and they're not sure where they should be even looking right now. So this is a good a good idea. 
Yeah. yeah, that's why I put it out there. I mean, I think, you know, you just let a lot of things work for you. And then you, you try to learn and again, try to learn from existing groups of information bases like our own and say, hey, this is better than me, like having big pie in the sky discussions over coffee. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get a little too much of that out of re- retirees, you know. I think no, 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 that's just not going to work for you. You're not, only going to rehash what you heard or read. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a good discussion uh, here in 2023. As we've been saying, we will have another one, and maybe it'll be around the time when they're discussing the debt ceiling. <laughs> Might have to have you back on when all that is going on, John. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens over the next couple of months here in the U.S. economy. And as John said, you know, we're taking it month by month with looking at that data and then evaluating everything. So let me recap a couple of the stocks we did talk about on this episode. So John mentioned Visa. He's buying in there, ticker V for Visa. Um, JP Morgan is one of the big banks we mentioned. JPM, Bank of America, is BAC. We mentioned Citigroup, that's ticker just C. Wells Fargo, ticker WFC, I mentioned them. And then John did mention the Industrial Renaissance ETF. That's a new one. We've never had it on the podcast before. Ticker AIRR. A is in Adam, I is in I. Is and I, ours and Robert, ours and Robert. So two R's at the end there. It holds 49 small and mid cap industrial stocks. So check out that ETF. Uh, use the Zach's rank. Check out the holdings on that ETF, as John was mentioning too. You can at least get the top 10 holdings there right on the fact sheet on zax.com when you plug in the ticker. But uh, be sure to do your research on all the stocks we talked about. And as always, I will be back next week with some more stocks, but you need to get us. So make sure you get us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. We're on SoundCloud. But get the podcast somewhere, and I'll see you again next week. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.